I bet. I mean, hell, you guys are, uh, you're, I, I hate to say you're right in the middle of it because it's, it's all over. <laughs> it's what? The, the virus. Yeah. It's all over. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, uh, but you guys are. test for it. Yeah. Oh, God. We don't even have those here yet. I mean, you guys are. <laughs> uh, then again, you guys are in a city with a confirmed case. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, there, I'm sure there's plenty of cases where you are, but they're just not testing for it. So. Exactly. Like I said, like I said in last week's episode, can't have any confirmed cases if you don't have the test. <laughs> so everyone's safe as long as you don't test anybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My wife is working from home. The kids are well. Colleen's home from school, and Declan's always home. Um, <laughs> so it's just like yesterday they were pretty good, but today like the wheels are coming off. Like oh no, it, it really only took us one day to like just turn <laughs> on each other and and for everybody to just completely just break down and oh yeah, no, it's, uh, well, we we went stir crazy immediately. Well, what's uh what's the uh, modus operandi at, at your company. Are you guys doing your live shows still? Is, is it kind of similar to what we're doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I I haven't even been told to get out. They're just like, you know, uh, just wash your hands, do your work. We haven't gotten, like, we've just gotten like, here's a link to what the CDC says to do. Uh, and the? that's basically it. So, I don't know how but, I feel about that. But like that. I said, like, you know, I'm, I'm totally cool with, uh, you know, I don't I don't cross paths with many people anyway. So um, That's true. You know, I just I just have been doing my show and then just kind of getting out. That's true. Anyway. You're, you're staying there for all of your prep and all of your production and everything? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's probably, that's true. Hmm, all right. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, I wouldn't mind if they... You know, send everybody else home, and I could just go and, <laughs> and do my thing, and then leave. Yeah, well, I mean, th- there's there's a few people left here that are here all day, but like, yeah. there's three, and they're all on different floors or areas. So, mm-hmm. so it's like they don't. I, I hate to say, oh, they don't need to like work from home. I'm sure they would like to, uh, but there's no yeah. one else around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know where I'd go to do my show. I mean, I guess I could do it where I'm doing the show right now. But in your closet? I, I even, well, yeah, I'm not even in my closet. I'm in my I'm in my son's closet because oh. um, he naps in our bed, and so uh, I can't use my normal closet. And then I, you know, even if I was doing my show, I couldn't use my normal closet because it'd be like five in the morning, you know. And then yeah, I'd still be sleeping in there. So the basement's too cold. Downstairs is too echoey. Yeah, you know, this is probably where I'd have to do it. I'd probably have to come in here and just. And just sound really different than I normally would. Yeah, like well, hey, hey, everybody. Uh, we we could we could really do an NPR style show then. Yeah, that's really uh, what it would have to be. I'll, I'll tell you what, if I if I ever do get a new laptop, uh, I, I'm still running on the one I've had since like uh, 2010 that I got mm-hmm. for ten dollars in a high school raffle. Nice. Uh, but I would probably get like a nice uh, USB mic, and there is an area in our house. That it's like kind of a crawl space, like storage area, but it's under like the Cape Cod roof, so it's fully insulated. Nice. Like I, it's crazy how quiet it is. Yeah, that'd be uh, yeah, that'd be awesome if you could, you know, figure out a way to not have to go in every time. <laughs> Or stay, or whatever. Yeah, really. All right, should we get started? Let's get started. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. (laughs) It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we are starting season six with episode one, The Chaperone. But before that, have a lot of stuff to go over from the previous episode, which was the season five finale. Oh my gosh. The opposite. (laughs) And let me start with a little bit of our homework 
we were wondering because you noticed that Elaine was looking a lot different at the beginning of the episode, uh, most noticeably. Yes. And we were wondering when it was filmed and stuff like that. The opposite was the first episode shot for season five, but it was intended to be the season finale. So for some reason, they shot it first. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so maybe that's why she looked so different. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of weird that they did it that way because the production code also is, you know, it, it's not it's not listed as 501. It's listed as 522 or whatever it is. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm actually looking at the production codes now, and there's a weird, uh, a weird thing at the end where uh, 522 is the Hamptons, mm-hmm. but five, oh, okay. 521 is the opposite. And uh, fi- the double epi- the double episode, the raincoats yeah. is uh, five nineteen and five twenty, but five eighteen is the fire. Weird, yeah. It was obviously shot in a really weird order. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I I found that kind of interesting. And it's the last episode Tom Sharonis directed. I guess they must mean because surely he did a ton in the middle, uh, you know, and all throughout season five. So they mm-hmm. must mean it was the last episode to air that Tom Sharonis directed, which is pretty oh, interesting. Oh, okay. he directed the bulk of all those episodes, <laughs> you know, up to season six here. Andy Ackerman is going to take over as primary director of the of Seinfeld all throughout the rest of the show's run. Did he did he di- did he direct today's episode? That's a good question. I'm going to say yes, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that that kind of uh, answers our question about the opposite not being filmed last, and maybe why Elaine looks a little bit different. But it's it's definitely not the answer I was expecting. Wow, yeah, I, I definitely expected it to be part of season six, not to be the first episode filmed of season five. Jesus, yeah, yeah kind of weird. Uh, Helen Gurley Brown, we had a question about her, and I was partly right that she did have something to do with Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, Elaine is talking about how you know she's talking about moving in with her boyfriend. She is so her relationships on track. Her um, job is going well in Seinfeld that Helen Gurley uh, Jerry says that Helen Gurley Brown would be proud. She was an American author, publisher and businesswoman and editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine for 32 years. Jeez. She rose to fame in 1962 with a book called Sex and the Single Girl which was published in 28 countries and stayed on the bestseller list for over a year. It was an advice book. Uh, keep in mind, it's the early 60s. and encouraged women to become financially independent and experience sexual relationships before or without marriage. So very risque for the time, especially. (laughs) And in 65, she became editor-in-chief of Cosmo, which was at that time a literary magazine famed for high-tone content and (laughs) uh, then reinvented as a magazine for modern single-career women. And nowadays, they just give awful, awful sex advice, uh, I think is what they're famous for. (laughs) I I feel like I can't ever... Uh, see the cover of a Cosmopolitan uh, whenever I'm at like Target or something because like the the story is always going to be have the best sex of your life while at the beach or yeah. have amazing sex while traveling to a casino or something like that but it's always uh, like something best sex of your life yeah they're the original and, and lots of grocery stores started covering them up because I guess they were that risky <laughs> really you know? oh Jesus yeah, yeah. I, I know Walmart had this special <laughs> thing made where you know the the Cosmo model whoever was the celebrity on the cover would be in the center and all of those articles you're talking about would be around the outside yeah. well they made something where they made a 
uh, cover, you know, that just covered up those sides so you could still see the cover model and oh, the title. So it's shaped like a U, God. in other words, like a square U. So the four <laughs> sides of a square, uh, or the three sides of a square, sorry, at the bottom. So yeah, take a look at, at Cosmo the next time you're at Walmart or, or anything like that, or, or you wow. know, the next time you see it, it might have one of those covers on it. At least I think they're still in use. <laughs> I, I've seen like the that that the three sides of a square magazine holder you're talking about had no idea that was the origin of it. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's the reason. It's covering up the sexiest sex you ever sexed. Um, hey, la- but- hey, ladies, what's the sexiest sex you've ever sexted? But so, yeah, because Cosmo, so Cosmo is like the king of those clickbait articles. You oh, know, God, you yeah. You just read. Like, but it's always like, you know, so it's like, give him the sexiest sex of, of his sexy life. And you open it up, you're like, oh, I wonder what this is. And it's like, hold a gun to his head while he climaxes. You're like, oh, my Jesus, God. Jesus no! Christ. What in the world? Like, they're famous for like, there's even a subreddit. I forget what it's called. Oh, yeah. I think it's like shitty Cosmo advice or something like that. That I'm a, that I'm a sub on, and they post those horrible articles like like surprise him with a corn cob up his ass. Like, oh my gosh, don't do that. Like they're very famous these days for like just the worst sex advice. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I made up both those two, and I say that, but they might actually like if you Google that advice, it might actually <laughs> it might actually pop up as actual Cosmo advice. If there is an if there is an article writer right now listening, they will use this. They'll go, man, sounds good. A guy said it. Tim Murphy of No Hugging, No Learning says the best sex of his life was when he had a corn cob shoved up his ass and a gun to his head. Oh my god! At the same time, <laughs> yeah. holy shit! And then you shit. switch them for real fun. Oh no! <laughs> man, I should write for Cosmo. This is gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much all about uh helen Gurley brown good but, lord so, okay so she was the, one of the first women to say that women could have it all like love <laughs> sex and money and and so that and in the 60s that was like a you know a, a kind of a, a firebrand thing to be a part of <laughs> um moving on <laughs> the term i was looking for as far as those youtube videos where people gorge themselves yeah uh, that was getting some press recently was mukbang m-u-k oh, yeah B-A-N-G. Yeah. M- now you know. Mukbang. Oh, Mukbang. Mukbang. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Grace, Grace and I have watched a couple of them. Oh, okay. But la- last week, you were. I guess I wasn't explaining it well enough what I was I, thinking. Well, I, I looked on YouTube and I searched gorging, which yeah. is, oh boy, not the oh, right thing no. to look for. Uh, no. There is uh, there's a lot of shitty metal bands that have gorging in the title of one of their songs. Tim, would you like to know what some of these songs are titled? Definitely. Uh, there are, there is, and I'll tell you how many views each of these videos has as well. There is Gorging on Abortions uh, oh, no. with 596 views. Gorge abortions. <laughs> there. Abortions. There is, uh, uh, I, I can't read all of this one because it's cut off and I don't really want to click on it. <laughs> I, there's uh, Gorging on Mucus and Bile. Uh, at oh, 910 God. views, there is Gorging on Rotting Entrails, which is a full oh. album, by the way, has wow. 1.1 thousand views. Uh, gorging on have band names associated with them, too? Uh, yeah, Gorging on Rotting Entrails is from Eviscerated. Ooh. Uh, gorging on Mucus and Bile is Pia Mia. Uh, yeah. And what was the first one I read? 
Uh, gorge Bortions. Oh, Gorge Bortions. That's right. Uh, that was, oh, that was Devour the Unborn. How how proper. Yeah. I get their, I get their shtick. Uh, g- gorging on mis- misanthropy, gorging on exposed arteries, oh. uh, gorging, gorging on menstrual chunks. Oh boy! Oh boy! Jesus Christ! No thanks. <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably the wrong thing to look for on YouTube. Yeah, and honestly, gorging is probably the wrong <laughs> word to use. Like, because as far as I know, just you know, in these mukbang videos. They're not necessarily gorging, they're just kind of eating. Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh it's a person eating in front of a camera designed to be watched by someone who is eating uh most likely alone that they just want to like watch uh so like one of their favorite YouTubers or just feel like they're uh part of a conversation. A, a lot of the reason why some people listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um yeah, and I read that a lot of it is is like sort of vicarious. So it's like people who can't necessarily or aren't necessarily at that moment eating pizza or noodles or whatever just it's like like it was compared to watching a cooking show it's like i'm never going to make any of that crap but i love watching the food network you know <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. Kind of thing. I'm, I'm not going to eat any of that <laughs> stuff at this moment but i could be watching it right now it became really popular in south korea in 2010 and has since become a trend worldwide getting some press recently at least within the last year or two i know uh, oh, over yeah. here in the u.s for sure uh, so that's the term i was looking for um here's this exchange from the office towards the end of the episode we were wondering if there was, you know, actually why Kramer spit out his drink all over Regis and Kathy Lee. And Mr. Libman says, anyway, the thinking here is that it would be best if you didn't do any more of these shows. And Kramer says, because of the coffee thing. So I guess there was coffee in the cup at that point, but I'm pretty sure that in Uh, most talk show scenarios, it's going to be just water. Maybe it is like, um, maybe it is kind of like the opposite of what we were thinking then before. Maybe instead of expecting it to be coffee and it was water, maybe he was just, oh yeah, expecting a sip of water and it was hot, so that's why he spit it out. Yes, that's that's exactly what's going on. Okay. I think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you let your gazpacho warm up to room temperature and expect you're expecting it to be ice cold, it can burn your mouth. <laughs> If I could throw it back to another show that we talked about, I think it should leave last episode. Which, by the way, I did. I did go back. I didn't consider. I consider this extra credit. I did go back and watch that episode of Characters with Tim oh, Robinson. Yeah. Have you seen that yet? Yes. Oh my god! I think it may be even better than all the other episodes. Of I laughed through the whole thing, and it's like easily. Well, it's like easily thirty minutes or whatever. So it's double the length of an episode, and, and I found it. I was laughing through the whole thing. Oh my gosh! The uh, just the the guy at the casino at the beginning, snake eyes. Oh fuck! my gosh! I was like, where is this going? I was like, it's not that funny yet, and then all of a sudden, it just explodes everywhere, and I didn't stop laughing from that point on. Oh my gosh! Then I might uh, uh with a uh, with the quarantine, I might like uh, just go back and rewatch. I think you should leave, and I'm gonna try and find Detroiters. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where I'm gonna find it, but I'm gonna try and find it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. I think I'm going to binge. I think you should leave as well uh, during <laughs> during the quarantine. Uh, so during that exchange too in the office, Kramer is really bummed about Sonia Live about him not being on Sonia Live anymore because she's a doctor and I got a thing for her. Sonia Live in L.A. aired on CNN from 1987 to 1984. I don't remember this show at all, but it starred Dr. Sonia Friedman. And she supposedly, there's not even a Wikipedia article for this show. No. That's how little it mattered in the television landscape. But it was on for seven years. Um, and Dr. Sonia Friedman served up intelligent talk for intelligent people in this interview show that covered <laughs> topical issued, issues and featured chats with newsmakers and entertainers. That's from IMDb. 
God, that sounds like that tagline sounds like the worst news talk radio morning show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Intelligent talk, talk for intelligent people. <laughs> yeah. Sonia Live is most famous for a James Brown interview that is either the top or the bottom of, the, of James Brown's uh, <laughs> career, depending on the way you look at it, um, because he was obviously on some sort of substance and just kind of all over the place. And uh, speaking of morning, uh, you know, speaking of morning shows and stuff like that, I know that that there were uh, radio shows that definitely had a lot of fun with the the sounds that James Brown made during that <laughs> interview. So if you want to do more uh, Sonya Live deep diving, you can look up that James Brown interview because that's the most famous thing, I think, ever to come out of Sonya Live. <laughs> not, uh, not even Sonya Live is uh, more famous than that interview on Sonya Live. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the interview has surpassed the show that it appeared on <laughs> as, as far as fame goes. We wanted to know if George Steinbrenner still owned the Yankees or not. It turns out he doesn't because he died 10 years ago. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I know. I love how both of us had no idea. If it was like last year, I'd be like, oh, well, that just escaped our, you know, of course. But no, he died in 2010. <laughs> y- you know who is probably ready to scream at us is Who's Kat. That? Who? Kat, our listener, who's like the huge oh, yeah, baseball, the baseball fan. fan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she she probably listened to that last week, and she's like, "Guys, how can you not know this?" Yeah. So the Yankees are owned now by Yankee Global Enterprises, which was formed in 1999 and is controlled by the family of George Steinbrenner. So George Steinbrenner did control the Yankees. He owned the Yankees from 1973 until 2010. Those 37 years are the longest in club history that anyone has owned the team. So he did own it for a very long time. (laughs) And I I found this, too, about um, his involvement with Seinfeld. So they wanted him to make a cameo appearance and permit a Yankees pennant to appear on the show. Now, the show used the pennant anyway. I think we've mentioned it before that it's been hanging on the wall in certain scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a year later, he was asked to allow a Yankees uniform to appear on the chaperone on this show, the six-season premiere. And he was still upset that they put the pennant on the show, even though he said they wouldn't, uh, even though he told him they couldn't. And he didn't know anything about the show. And he thought George Costanza had been named after him as an insult. (laughs) And so he refused to permit the uniform's use unless the character of George was renamed. Now, all of a sudden, we're in season six. And could you imagine if George had, like, changed his name? Oh, my God. It would have been a pretty funny plot line now that I say it out loud. But it still is a weird (laughs) request to make for, like, a megalomaniac baseball owner, you know? Jesus, yeah. Um, Like, like just for one episode, he's called, like, Stanley or something. (laughs) Actually, I love that even more, too. George changes his name for one episode and then goes back to, like, "Ah, wait, so now you're George again? Yeah, it didn't take, you know, something like that. Isn't there isn't there an episode where he does change his name coming up? There's an there's an episode where he tries to there's where he wants a nickname. So that's probably what you're thinking of. Maybe, maybe. Uh but so George Steinbrenner watched the show. He enjoyed it and he likes George Costanza. Um and so he approved the uniform. So that's why we do see Yankee uniforms in this episode. And later he said the show's portrayal of him was unflattering but accurate. <laughs> 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 Which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. I was looking up Don Mattingly, and I said that that Simpsons at the Bat thing happened in real life, where Don Mattingly, like, so Mr. Burns repeatedly demands that Don Mattingly trim his sideburns, uh, even though Mattingly has no sideburns, mm-hmm. and then 
and, and even in the middle of the episode, he wonders if Mr. Burns even knows what sideburns are. And then he returns with like a horizontal stripe from <laughs> one sideburn where one side would be one sideburn would be all the way to the other sideburn all the way around his head and Burns still yells at him and cuts him from the team because he wouldn't trim those sideburns. <laughs> As he departs, though, you might remember this line. Mattingly says, still like him better than Steinbrenner, which is funny. <laughs> but here's the weird thing. In 91, before Homer at the Bat aired, which aired in February of 1992, so before the episode aired, but after it was produced, Yankees manager at the time, Stump Merrill, told Mattingly that until he cut his hair, he would not play. And this was in accord with George Steinbrenner's policy of requiring his players to maintain well-kept head and facial hair. And Mattingly had a mullet hairstyle at the time. And when he refused to cut it, he was benched. So Mm. it was kind of a the Simpsons predicting something because it hadn't (laughs) happened yet, but it had been produced. Oh, my God. So I wonder if like. I wonder if like the script was like floating around the Yankees organization for approval for Mattingly to do, and maybe that was the catalyst for for uh, Mattingly needing to cut his hair. Yeah, maybe. That, oh that my sounds, god! Yeah, that sounds like it might be the case. Yeah, because it's definitely Mattingly's voice. So Mattingly had already voiced it because it had already been produced. But before it aired, they told him to. Yeah, so that that sounds right. <laughs> This is so yeah, weird. That might, be, that might be the case, especially if Steinbrenner would have heard about the line, I still like him better than Steinbrenner. Like, oh, really? Well, maybe I will make you cut your hair if you like that so much, you know? <laughs> uh, again, a megalomaniacal you know, baseball club owner. That definitely sounds like something he would do. Um, I only have a couple more notes here. So <laughs> according to Jerry, the line from George's angry rant at the movie theater, we're going to take it outside and I'm going to show you what it's like is taken almost verbatim from a Buddy Rich bootleg tape where he would berate his big band players for playing too loud. Have you ever heard that tape before? No. It's pretty funny. It's like one of the earliest celebrity freakouts because um, Buddy Rich is you know, probably long gone at this point. And so he's like yelling at his band, and it's it's just absolutely hilarious. It's like one of the first hidden microphone celebrity freakouts. You know, think Christian Bale, think Bill O'Reilly, uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> But it's it's it leaked somehow, and it's absolutely hilarious. So that's where that line came from. Um, let me see. And finally, this is really interesting because um, Regis Philbin recounted in his memoir that he was embarrassed and disappointed with Jerry Seinfeld and the show's writing crew after his repeated line, "This guy's boncos." <laughs> so it's definitely definitely meant to be boncos bombed with the audiences, and Philbin hated the line prior to the taping. <laughs> And wanted it removed, but Jerry and the writing staff was like, "Now nah, we're keeping it in there, and then it bombed anyway. <laughs> so he was upset that, like, you know, because c- they wrote it with him in mind. They were like, yeah, you're going to say Boncos, because that's definitely something Regis Philbin would say. And he's like, no, it's not. And they're like, well, yeah, it is. You're going to say it. And then it bombed anyway, so it made it look like it was his his improv. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so he was so upset that he was like, I would never say Boncos. <laughs> but it's like, th- but Jerry and the writing staff, like, sort of got away with writing a crappy line because it just seemed like it was something Regis Philbin said <laughs> off the cuff, you know? And he always resented them for it, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much all I have as far as, um, you know, the trivia and the homework and stuff. <laughs> I, I had, like, 
two more things, but I'm going to try yeah. and keep them to like 30 seconds or less. I couldn't remember if we looked up what episode or, or who exactly Jake Jarmel was, but I think we did look it up that he was the guy Elaine was dating that she argued like over the exclamation point. Did we, did yeah, we, this, we cover the, that? In the sniffing account, yeah. That's right. Okay, and Tina was gone from, in real time, from September 25th, 1991 to May 19th, 1994. So she was gone for like two and a half years in in real time. So Mm. from like season three to season five, late season five. So I I know Elaine says, yeah, she's been gone for like four years, which could be an exaggeration for any amount of time. But it's it's crazy that they kept her off the show, actually, for that long. And I, I looked up her profile on whatever, like, the Seinfeld Wikipedia is, like, wiki sign. And yeah, she's yeah. only ever on three episodes. It feels like she was on more than that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I guess that's right, though. That that sounds That sounds right now that you say it. But, yeah, I would say it's only because her presence is so grating to me that it seems like, <laughs> you know, every every second she's on... The screen feels like an hour to me, so maybe that's why it seems like she was on more. <laughs> ha alon, you're gonna cock out of the papa. <laughs> All right, thanks. The only other bit uh, I'll mention here, because sometimes you ask, do you have any other news? Mm-hmm. Is I'm sure you saw this. Uh, we tweeted it out as well. A, the creator of the members only jacket, which George has seen spotting, se- uh, spotted wearing several times throughout the run of the show, uh, has passed away. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. And there is a Seinfeld horror-themed video game oh, yeah. that has been made on the new creation system game for the PS4 called Dreams. And it is uh, pretty, pretty. I don't know, interesting. It's it, really awesome. I, I watched the video for it. Yeah. And I just started laughing like at the note that the uh, protagonist is reading. Oh, first off, the guy's name is Donathan. No, not what is it? Not <laughs> yeah, Donathan. Yeah, I think that's right. Donathan. Donathan. I was I was gonna say Donovan. I was like, wait, no, it was something weird. Donathan. Yeah. Uh, but the note that he picks up and reads is signed from Jerry the comedian. <laughs> I didn't notice that Jerry the comedian. Uh, I mean, he's, yes. he's constantly referencing Uncle Jerry, uh, but the apartment is all is spot on. I mean, it looks modern. Uh, I think he, I think Jerry's got like some stainless steel appliances, but. Yeah. My and God, a flat screen TV. and a flat screen TV. That's the thing. Yeah. Seeing that fourth <laughs> wall of Jerry's apartment is wild. That was really weird when he turned around. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there's a wall there. You just don't think of that. <laughs> there's a wall and a ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get to go into Kramer's apartment like further than we'll ever see. And so that's kind of interesting, too, the way they lay that out. God, I, I want to play this, but I don't have a PS4. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine with just watching the gameplay videos, but uh, future um, future episode element, Mr. Marbles makes an appearance, and uh, and Kramer's apartment is all red, which is a reference to the same episode that Mr. Marbles appears in, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty entertaining. If you have a PS4 and want to check it out, uh, let us know what you think. Oh, man. Okay, do you have any other like uh, bits, any, any other news or homework? 
That's it. Okay. Uh, despite us currently being over 31 minutes into the episode, <laughs> we are not a research-heavy podcast. We like to... Jesus Christ. The, this this saying loses more and more meaning every single week. <laughs> but we like to have our questions arise naturally through the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves as homework the week after. Uh, if, you, uh, if we miss anything in the run of the episode, uh, please send us a tweet and send us an email at no hugging on Twitter or no hugging no learning show at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please give us a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that and you send us your address in a DM or an email, we will send you a no hugging no learning sticker. Those do exist. They are mm-hmm. sick as fuck and they look like they were created in the 90s. They are a holographic design and I will personally send them. Anywhere that you are, I, I've got a couple going out to Sweden. I've got one going to Ontario, I think. Uh, I've got a couple in the states. Um, but I got to yeah. remember to send uh, send my address in. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, if you guys are, uh, I, I uh, told this to Brent and Liberty from Idiotville as well because he saw me in person and he's like, "Hey, yeah, when are you sending me my sticker?" I was like, "Honestly, I'll probably just stop down to the studio whenever you guys are recording it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, save some money. <laughs> exactly, save <laughs> save fifty five cents. Nice. Um, but if you guys are ever up in Erie, I'll give you some stickers because actually, I was selected as one of the ten thousand winners from Sticker Mule's birthday giveaway, yeah. and I got a free order of stickers. Yes. That's all. Are you going to get more no hugging stickers, or are you getting I, something else? I don't know. I, I feel like I need. I want to get more no hugging stickers, but I might want to do a different design. Ooh. So if uh, if anybody is uh, like uh, artsy, if anybody will, if anybody would like to create a design for us, I will send you a, a, a sticker. As I will send you one of both stickers. Uh, if if we select your design, if uh, if anybody's really good at like Adobe Illustrator, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we have any specific um catchphrases or anything that we uh that, that, that we that we're not really aware of other than be good at the at the end of the show I, or zeitgeist I, I, zeitgeist i think be good in like the seinfeld font would be would be a cool design but i also don't mm-hmm. want it to look exactly like the other sticker mm-hmm. yeah yeah at that point you might as well you know people will think the podcast is called be good or like what's be good like oh it's a podcast Exactly. Oh, why didn't they make a sticker with the podcast name? Um, <laughs> oh, well they, oh, well, they did. It's this whole thing. <laughs> had, had to give them a stupid fucking review. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, maybe a couple years down the road, we'll do the Be Good sticker. <laughs> or, or maybe, because I have to use this code uh, before uh, before the year is over. So, mm. or, no, I have exactly one year, not before the year mm. is over. So uh, maybe I'll just, uh, maybe in the next year, we can decide what show we're doing after Seinfeld. Yeah. And, and I'll get those stickers ready. <laughs> I like it. And then we won't release them until season five of that show. <laughs> but at least you won't have to say... <laughs> When we get these stickers made, that's be true. Made day one, ready, that's day true. One. Oh man, <laughs> be on that day one ish. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So with that being said, uh, season five. Oh god. Well. Wow. Already fucked up. Uh, <laughs> season six, episode one, the chaperone. Original air date September twenty second, nineteen ninety four. I was one year, nine months, and two days old. And if you are it, counting this episode, Tim, we have 89 episodes before we become a all 
metal bands with yeah. gorging in the name of songs <laughs> podcast. Wow. It's uh it sounds like a, not a lot, but it, it it's also like almost two years. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I, I think um May of I mean, twenty fifty two weeks in a yeah. I think May of twenty twenty two is when we were uh thinking or something like that. That sounds uh, about right. Uh, but uh, if you are looking at TV Guide the night of September 22nd, 1994, you are going to see Kramer Chaperone's Jerry's Date with a beauty contestant guest, Ian Abercrombie. All right. And we open with a stand-up bit as usual. Oh, before I get to that, though, I want to <laughs> because we're... <laughs> Well, this is part of the episode. Before we get to that, because we were starting a new season, I really wanted to look at the title card. Oh, and okay. It is an ugly sea green. Mm-hmm background and blue letter logo with an olive triangle mm-hmm. it was very noticeably clashing yeah i w- would you call that sea green i called it like mint green i don't uh, I, don't, I don't know what sea green necessarily I didn't just call looks it like sea green i called it ugly sea green <laughs> <laughs> uh to me minty is a little uh mint is a little sharper sea green's a little softer but the, okay. I, i'd say they're from the same part of the green color wheel okay I, I i feel like i had a car that was sea green oh I had a no Green, yeah. <laughs> so that that tar that that um you know stereotypical Ford Taurus color that's going to be your sea green, I think, or sea foam green, I think, is what that actually was called. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So that's so maybe that's what I meant. Sea Ma- foam. Maybe green. maybe uh, this logo just written with no hugging, no learning should be our new sticker. <laughs> yeah, the ugly clashing <laughs> the uh, greens and blues. But it is. Uh, I will give them this. It is very nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's on it's on aesthetically it's aesthetic, aesthetically branded. <laughs> That's true. So we do start with a stand up bit and it's about how baseball and sex are so closely linked and Jerry doesn't know why, but you use expressions like playing the field, I want to score, I was trying to get to first base, I struck out, she wanted a diamond. Uh he talks about the irony of fat umpires. Um although really you could have picked a better because baseball players are known for not being in that good a shape. You know, like if there's a fat uh athlete they probably are a baseball player. You know, I mean, taking out all the Olympic sports and stuff yeah. like shot put and weightlifting, like of the big four sports, like baseball is the one where you're standing still for a lot of the time. You only have to <laughs> run like 90 feet at a time. And so you think of, of players, especially from the 90s, like Cecil Fielder and and uh, and uh, Kirk uh, Gibson and stuff like that. Maybe he wasn't as big as Cecil for sure. But, you know, like it, it, it's I, I feel like you could have picked a better sport because fat umpires. It's not really that ironic. Yeah, a lot of the players are out of shape too. You yeah, know? like NASCAR, especially in the nineties. Yeah, like NASCAR drivers are most of the time in better shape than some <laughs> baseball players. Yeah, they definitely can be. Yeah, you got to stay slim. You got to keep that car as uh, mm-hmm. as light as it can be. <laughs> um, and he says that we're too into sports as a country. I like this. You know, like people walking out of a stadium or after a game going, "We won." And it's like, you know, you didn't win. You watched or something like exactly. that. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. People who get way too into sports, I think, are like a special kind of dumb because like the people who get like you know all depressed or upset after a loss like they literally get mad like they're i'm like you don't you didn't do anything like you don't why are you upset i just Mm -hmm. have never understood it (laughs) uh so i I like that sentiment and we open at yankee stadium george is talking to a player this player is danny tartable uh he's referenced a little bit later on only by first name and i think he was a pretty big deal at the time i remember from when I was collecting baseball cards, this guy's name was it. So, was this actually him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's actually oh, okay. Danny Partable. Oh, yeah. all right. Oh, yeah, I had no idea who it was. And just like with Mattingly, you know, Danny is getting where he said like um, 
Don Mattingly asked him for advice on his new stance, which I'm sure did not happen. He just wanted to da- <laughs> drop down Don Mattingly's name in the last episode. He's giving Danny Tartable advice on how to swing, and I'm sure it's unsolicited. Oh, and for sure. <laughs> Danny's getting very hot, and he mentions how they get hot in these uniforms, and George is very upset that they're playing in polyester and not cotton uniforms. <laughs> Uh, cut to Elaine and Jerry. They're in the stands at the Yankees game there. Very nice seats. Probably George got them uh, for them. And uh, Elaine is in her Orioles hat, as she wears, I guess, to all baseball games because she's from Baltimore. And uh, even when she's in seats that belong to somebody who works for the organization or <laughs> something like that, she always has to wear her Orioles hat. She always has uh, to be that contrarian. Yeah, yeah. We've seen her get in trouble for that before. And uh, Elaine gets up to... Um, well, first, some Miss America contestants come down the aisle. They're enjoying the game because they're in town for the big pageant. And then Elaine excuses herself because she has to check her machine about some job interviews. She is still unemployed at this point at the mm-hmm. beginning of season six. And, you know, if only we had cell phones, she could have just oh my you know, God. seen if she had a call right there. Or, or, or checked her email. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, did, did you catch, like, why Elaine couldn't get out? Because she asked Jerry to move, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah. And he just kept his foot on the back <laughs> of the seat in front of him. No, I did not notice that. Because, yeah, she has a lot of trouble getting out, and everyone starts yelling at her. Th- that's why. Jerry just, like, has his leg up on the seat in front of him, and he's just like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> So she's she potentially has an interview at Doubleday to replace Jackie Onassis, who, you know, of course, is our former first lady. Uh, and she had just passed away in May of 1994. Oh, whoa. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess she was an editor at Doubleday uh, at the time. And interesting parallel here. Uh, of course, a lot of people probably know that Julia Louis-Dreyfus is heir to a billion dollar fortune because of her shipping magnate father and jackie onassis also is the daughter of a uh, billionaire shipping magnate as far as i remember if i if mm. i know my onassis history <laughs> um yeah so kind of an interesting parallel there between the actress and who they're talking about uh jerry starts flirting with the just the attractive woman closest to him it could have been anybody it turns out to be miss rhode island though <laughs> Did, did you catch Jerry's line here? Uh, Jerry asked like Miss Rhode Island if she wanted a hot dog. She's like, no, sorry, I'm trying to watch my figure for the competition. I don't want to yeah. gain any weight. And Jerry's like, oh, I'm trying to watch my height. My doctor wasn't, doesn't want me to get any taller. Yeah. And, and, then, and then just keeps talking to her. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. This is, this is the worst like pervy uncle joke. <laughs> yeah, he's always on. Mm-hmm. Everything's a bit. <laughs> uh, but it's charming. He's charming. Uh, back in the in Jerry's apartment, George is impressed that Jerry is uh, has a date with Miss Rhode Island, and Jerry happens to be working in Atlantic City this coming weekend, where the pageant is. So they're going to get together. And is this where she calls and says, "Yeah, no, I think this is where they're just talking." So yeah. they have to have a chaperone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only kind of uh, hiccup there. And George brings up the Yankees uniforms and that he's going to say something <laughs> about them playing in polyester yeah, and not and, cotton. And, and Jerry's face, whenever George tells him, he's just baffled as to why this even matters. Oh, the uniforms. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, he's he's in the middle of calling. He's in the middle of dialing Karen at, yeah. at whatever hotel she's at. And George is like, I'm going to I'm going to like run this up the flagpole. And Jerry's like. 
okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he still doesn't believe George has any clout, maybe, also. Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to say something. Yeah, they're going to listen to you, the new guy, mm-hmm. who this isn't even your department. You know, you're the, you're the assistant to the travel secretary <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, and George is, like, you know, very impressed with the fact that, like, not only is he dating a Miss America contestant, but, like, if she's Miss America, he'll be dating Miss America. Yeah, true. Um, so over at... Bantam, Doubleday, and Dell, or I'm sorry, Bantam, Doubleday, and Dell. Elaine has an interview there. She and the interviewer is like fawning over Jackie Onassis, and they're talking about how she had grace. And Elaine's like, "Oh, you know, people say I have a little bit of grace," and they get in a very passive aggressive argument about oh grace and whether oh. you can have grace, you whether you can have a little grace or no grace at all. And Elaine is like so fed up at one point. She's like. I don't have grace. I don't want grace. I don't even say grace. <laughs> this was infuriating to watch. The passive aggressiveness of it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, Elaine wasn't... I mean, I guess she was. You know, she wants the job, so she was kind of comparing mm-hmm. herself to Jackie Onassis, which was, like, the wrong thing to do in front of this lady who thinks... who thought the sun, like, rose and set with Jackie Onassis. <laughs> but, like, they, they both just kind of write it off as Elaine is like, yeah, I have no chance, and this boss is like, yeah, she has no chance, and Elaine even stands up. She's like, I have no chance, do I? None. Yeah. None whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, because they're like, yeah, they finally just get aggressive, aggressive with each other. Like, all right, well, we'll we'll be making our decision in a few days. And Elaine's like, okay, thank you. And I don't have a chance, do I? Like, no. <laughs> uh, but then uh, the interviewer gets a buzz that Justin Pitt is is there to see her. And Justin Pitt was evidently very close friends with Jackie Onassis. And he is introduced to Elaine, who in the meantime of Justin Pitt entering, Elaine has put on glasses and a scarf. And this was like a signature look of Jackie Onassis. Did you recognize this? No, I had no idea. I, I had like, no idea yeah. what they were going for here. In a lot of pictures of her, you know, she has that headscarf and she has the big glasses like that. Um, and so I, Elaine was probably doing it on purpose because she knew she was going for Jackie Onassis's. Jackie Onassis's. That is tough to say. They uh, they start talking <laughs> about that. How that's uh, that's difficult to say. You know, going for her job. So she probably wore that. You know, like that kind of get up as a reference to that, you know, iconic look by Jackie O. But a pit is enamored with this look in this moment. Hmm. You know, the I'm, second he sees Elaine, I'm looking up photos of Jackie yeah. O now, and literally none of them is, are things where she's wearing this. Really? Really? It's uh, all because, like she's I mean, got that's... she's got like a hat or the short bob or. Uh, I mean, there's there's one with big sunglasses, but there's no like sunglasses and scarf. Yeah, the pillbox hat is definitely that was definitely like a big look of hers. Yeah, there's one of the I see the glasses, maybe the the same one you're talking about. I'm Let not I'm see. not seeing anything with glasses and a scarf. So there's I see scarf and no glasses now. Oh wait, here. Oh no, that's like a that's a catalog that's trying to make a model look like Jackie O. Yeah, oh, but if, but if they're going for that look, I think that's more interesting evidence that it at hmm. least kind of was, you know, it's definitely what they were going for. That's why Pitt is so enamored with her. I don't know where the I, this look came from of the scarf and the glasses. Oh, there we go. You know what I had to fu- like Google to find this look? Jackie Onassis glasses and scarf. Yeah, I, I, it auto-completed for me sunglasses scarf, probably because really? we're talking about it right now. Yeah. But as you can see, there's like multiple different... <laughs> 
I mean, different occasions where she was in that. You know, yeah. these aren't all from the same event. Yeah, that's true. Uh, um, but like, if I'm if you're just looking up images of Jackie Onassis, there's like yeah. one out of maybe fifty. Yeah, and my guess, as far as that goes, is probably for the same reason she wore the glasses and scarf is that you know she was a a tabloid fixture while she oh, was first lady and even before that, and so when you're googling Jackie O, you want to see her face. You know I, what bet. I mean? Yeah. So you really have to do a, a deep dive into Google Jackie <laughs> Onassis. It, it even like here's when I type in Jackie O, here are the autocompletes. Jackie O sunglasses scarf, Jackie O sunglasses, Jackie O scarf, Jackie O headscarf. <laughs> <laughs> like those are all suggested autocompletes for Jackie O. Over at Jerry's apartment, the chaperone, he's you know, he he calls Karen and the chaperone cannot make it now. And Kramer comes in. He gets a, a big laugh for his entrance, but it doesn't put a stop to the scene. I found that kind of interesting. Hmm. We're always sort of analyzing yeah, Kramer's I, entrances. I didn't even notice it. Uh, and Jerry asks, you know, he's still on the phone with Karen, and he asks Kramer to go to uh, this date with him and a Miss American contestant. And I love Kramer's first question without a beat. He, he says, what state? <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry makes a face like, what does it matter? He's like, Rhode Island. And Kramer's like, nah, they're never in contention. So he's like... <laughs> not interested and jerry's like how do you know and kramer said he's seen every pageant since he was six and that's how he knows so he watches the miss america pageant every single year and then jerry's like i'll buy your dinner and almost before he can finish the sentence uh, this is another thing i love about kramer he says giddy up (laughs) and so if there's free anything in it but free food especially Mm -hmm. you know kramer is in so the fact that jerry's gonna buy him dinner you know he's game Uh, over at monk's uh, Pitt and Elaine are there eating, and Pitt is comparing Elaine to Jackie O. And obviously, they were very close friends. And and it's almost like he had a thing for Jackie Onassis. Yeah, and is Elaine being like kind of cute and flirty here to like mimic Jackie O, or is this uh, is this something for her character? I think I think your first inclination is correct. Okay. She, she's yeah. just trying to be as much like Jackie O as possible. That's my guess. Yeah. Okay. Because obviously this pit guy has some sort of pull at at the, the place she was just at. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, who, who knows what else it could lead to. Like if someone's just interested in her professionally or whatever, I think that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, hey, we know that we know how much Elaine was like obsessed with the Kennedys. So That's true, too. Yeah. I've totally forgot about that angle. Pitt asks Elaine to be his personal assistant, and he's going to pay her the same as she made at Pendant, but she must start immediately. That Maybe it's just me. That doesn't sound enticing. What, the same pay as Pendant? Yeah, he's like, I, I would like you to do this new job that's not in your field. I'll Don't worry, I'll pay you the exact same thing you were making. I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? No, man. If I, I I'm, I'm so, like, I know I'm out of work, and I probably shouldn't be like picky. Uh, but like, I, I want more money. <laughs> See, I saw it as she probably made a pretty good living at Pendant. You think and so? A personal assistant would make less than she would be making. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. And so, and especially like starting immediately, you know, is like, oh, of course, all this sounds great. So that's kind of my guess there. 
Uh, back at Yankee Stadium, George uh, kind of flags down and grabs Buck Showalter, who was – this is the real Buck Showalter, who is the Yankees manager at the time. Oh, he okay. was a manager from 1992 to 1995. Buck was not his real first name. He got that name when he was playing in the minor leagues and would always sit around the clubhouse buck naked. Someone started calling him <laughs> Buck because of that. And I would guess that like all baseball players do that. So I find it kind of weird that he's the one that ended up with a nickname Buck. I don't know if everybody just walks around constantly naked. I I, I feel like it's going to be like uh, a thing of like normal locker rooms where everyone's like in their underwear. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you're going to have like the couple old guys that are just like blow drying their underparts. Yeah. And my guess is that that's probably underparts. the way Buck was. Yeah, their undercarriage. <laughs> their, their undercarriage. I don't know how Buck. I got the word underparts. No, that worked. That worked. <laughs> um I'm going to start calling genitals underparts. Hell yeah. From now on. I like it. <laughs> um, that's what our sticker should say. Underparts in the Seinfeld <laughs> script. <laughs> Seinfeld script. Um, but no, I. so my guess is maybe Buck, as a young man in the minor leagues, you know, you're in your 20s probably, he was probably already walking around like an old man. And in your 20s, <laughs> like, you're a little more modest about it. You know, like, you're the guy that's going to be pointing out, like, God, why are old men always walking around naked? But Buck probably was like that in his 20s and then he ended up with the nickname buck <laughs> i guess but um uh, he was the yankees manager from 92 to 95 here's another interesting future pl- parallel he was manager of the orioles from oh, 2010 whoa. to 2018 <laughs> yeah. so probably you know elaine was a big fan in the that part of the uh, 2000s and he led the yankees to their franchise worst 115 losses in that whoa. season uh, that ended in 1995 and his contract was up at that point and it was not extended. So that's when his time with the Yankees <laughs> came to an end. And so George asked Buck show Walter, you know, how, you know, how's it going? And he's like, Oh, okay. Uh, all of a sudden there's a problem with tartable swing. But besides that, and obviously we know from the beginning of the episode, it's whatever horrible advice George had been giving him. And, <laughs> George, you know, plugs the idea of cotton uniforms to Buck Showalter and and really makes a good case for it. And Buck is like, yeah, I think I'm going to say something about that. Cut to Jerry's apartment. Elaine is explaining her new job and talking about what she does for Mr. Pitt. And the she says, well, for instance, I have to buy him socks uh, tomorrow. <laughs> and that's like, you know, obviously she was trying to keep what she was doing for him kind of a secret because it is... It's it's not a step down in pay, but it's definitely a step down in in what she's you know, doing. Professor, right. yeah, in what yeah. she's doing in her professional career. She's God. buying socks for some old man. Yeah, you know the white ones that go with sneakers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kramer comes in, and Jerry asks Kramer. You know, he's like, "Hey, towards the end of the night, why don't you just kind of ride off into the sunset?" And Kramer. Will says he will not step aside. I love this. I'm, if you think I'm going to step aside while you defile this woman, you've got another thing coming. <laughs> <laughs> because Kramer takes the pageant very seriously, yeah. we find out. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so he's not going to play Jerry's angle where, you know, he's going to chaperone. If he's going to chaperone for a Miss American contestant, he's going to he's gonna chaperone the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, Jerry realizes what he's gotten himself into at this point. Cut to Bolo, which uh, d- is not open anymore. But guess who owned Bolo when it was open? Uh, Gordon Ramsay. No, very close. You're on the right track. I, th- I feel like one more guess will do it. And it's not um, It's not uh, Guy Fieri. <laughs> oh, damn. I know. Uh, uh, Alton Brown? No, no. But we're, we're on the Food Network now, at least. It is... 
Bobby Flay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bobby Flay opened Bolo in 1993. Whoa. Okay. I didn't know Bobby Flay was around that long. I know. I know. Well, I, I mean, that was just when he was a cele- when he was a chef. Forget the celebrity part. He was just a chef. You know. Jeez. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the Food Network, I don't even know if that was a thing in, in 1993. I know it started probably earlier than we both think, but um, yeah, it, it was owned by Bobby Flay. It opened in 1993 and closed in 08. So at that point, he was just like, you know, a, a well-known chef in New York City. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to know how I know who Bobby Flay is? Uh, Entourage? Nope. Okay. I don't know then. Uh, there was a Disney movie in the early 2000s <laughs> <laughs> called... Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off, and it's about a high school baseball player who has a dream that he wants to be a chef, (laughs) and and he enters a cooking competition, and he has to uh, beat Bobby Flay, I think. Wow. I, I, I might be getting that movie mixed up with something else, too. Yeah, or the show Beat Bobby Flay, which exists. I, I, I might be getting I might be getting confused with Beat Bobby Flay, but I think Bobby Flay was in the movie. Oh yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And he, wa- I don't know if you watched Entourage. I think it's come up a couple of times, but he was on Entourage at some point <laughs> as well. I do remember that. I think he's like, or maybe it was Curb. One of those things. Anyway, it, one of those HBO shows. I know he was on, uh, and it it was at 23 East 22nd in the Flatiron District. It was a Spanish restaurant, and uh, it closed in 08 because the building that it was in uh, was demolished for luxury condos. Oh, so, nice. Uh, a tale as old as time up in New York City. <laughs> and Kramer is, you can tell, um, just taking complete control of the date. He is testing Miss Rhode Island, uh, you know, asking her the type of questions you might ask, like, uh, at the end of the pageant when they asked him, you know, how would you deal with world hunger and stuff like that? Jerry is bored and, and fed up. Mm-hmm. Kramer says that last year, Miss Texas lost a point in the swimsuit competition. Mr. And Karen asks, like, well, what could she have done better? And Kramer just says... Tape your breasts together. Jesus. <laughs> Just matter-of-factly. And, <laughs> and Jerry takes issue with that. He's like, come on. And Miss Rhode Island is like, no, no. You know, I need to hear this. She's like really interested in Kramer's expertise. <laughs> and she's like, you know, tell me more about, you know, what, what do you, how do you think I could win? He's like, well, first of all, you got a big waist. <laughs> Jesus. Well, he does preface it. He's like, you're very attractive, but you have a big waist. <laughs> uh, and Jerry is like, you know, again, he's fed up, but, but no one's listening to his protests about this conversation that's taking place. Yeah. Uh, Kramer asks what her talent is and it's magic. Oh, th- I think Jerry at this point has gotten up to go to the bathroom and Kramer, like for some reason, says her talent is magic. And then Kramer thinks that means mind reading <laughs> <laughs> because he's like, all right, what number am I thinking of? And Karen says six. And Kramer's like, no, it was five, but you're close. He's like still amazed by it. <laughs> Even though every number between 1 and 10 is close to each other. Yeah. (laughs) It's less than 10. Especially, like, he picked 5, the one in the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. (laughs) Uh, uh, Jerry, on his way to the bathroom, passes through the bar, and the Yankees game is on TV there, and the Yankee, the announcer is talking about how the Yankees look a lot different. They, you you know, you can tell they've kind of got a spring in their step and stuff like that. And they look like a lot better, and it's probably because of those cotton uniforms. <laughs> I, I like how the the uh, commentators are saying pretty much the exact same thing that George was saying because they switched to cotton uniforms, and yeah. one of them's like, "Well, you know, it is a natural fiber." <laughs> yeah, yeah, polyester is not. Yeah, it's a natural fiber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so everyone agrees uh, cotton is the way to go at this point. 
Um, cut to the Marriott Marquis, or we get an, uh, an outside shot of the Marriott Marquis, Marriott Marquis, even though we're going to be in a limo in a second. The Marriott Marquis, by the way, is still there at 1535 Broadway. Oh, whoa. Yeah, and rooms are actually kind of cheap. I think it might have to do with the fact that everything in New York City is shut down right now, but during <laughs> the week you can get a room. But keep in mind, this is 1535 Broadway. This is Times Square. Yeah. And you can get a room for 157 during the week. Huh. Or two twenty four on the weekend. Times Square. Wow, that's not bad at all. I know. I was like, um, that, is that maybe, is that right now? Yes, that's during the the <laughs> COVID nineteen epidemic. Yeah, or pandemic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So you you know you're not going to see a Broadway show. You're not going to see any show. Fallon's not yeah, there. You're not going. Uh, Colbert's not there. <laughs> you're not going to go to any stores. Uh, yep, you're you're probably this- not going to go ice skating. <laughs> uh, you're literally maybe going to go to a bagel shop. And that's yep. it. Yeah, and and you can walk around Times Square pr- probably, you know, and, and reenact Vanilla Sky. Remember the beginning of that movie <laughs> where Tom Cruise is running through a de- deserted Times Square and everyone was like amazed that they got oh to shut God. down Times Square to film that <laughs> scene. So you could reenact the beginning of, uh, of Vanilla Sky if you want, but that's about all you're going to be able to do. But it's a cheap-ass room, got to say, uh, at the moment. So we we cut to a limo, we got to imagine, near the Marriott Marquis, and Kramer and Miss Rhode Island are still talking. Jerry is being completely ignored, and Miss Rhode Island asks Kramer to be her personal consultant for the pageant. And Kramer is like, you know, I'll do it, but you got to listen to everything I say. And Miss Rhode Island's all about it. She turns to Jerry, and she goes in for a kiss, but... Right as they're about to kiss, Kramer goes, ahem. And so Miss Rhode Island, you know, pulls back and denies Jerry the kiss. And at that moment, she gets out of the limo. The limo pulls off. And Kramer starts singing the Miss America theme, the famous Miss America theme. There she is, Miss America. And Jerry goes, oh, shut the... And there's a a distinctly placed beep Mm -hmm. of a horn in New York City traffic (laughs) uh, to cover up what he was going to say there. Did yeah. you see as the limo is driving here, we get uh, like in the background, there's a sign for the damn Yankees. Yeah, <laughs> I did notice that. I wrote it down. I was like, how uh, another interesting parallel for the show. Damn Yankees at the Marquee Theater right there next to the Marriott Marquee was enjoying a revival at the time that uh, had just started on March 3rd of 1994. Oh, and the actor in it uh, won the Tony for best actor Whoa. that year in a revival. Yeah. And later... In the same revival, Jerry Lewis made his Broadway debut uh, about a year later in 1995. You figure Jerry Lewis is one of those guys that, you know, would have just had already been on Broadway. But no, he plays the the, the devil character, Mr. Applegate, in that uh, particular revival of Damn Yankees. And he went on to be in the national tour as well. This revival of Damn Yankees also had B.B. Newirth, who people might know as Frazier's wife from Cheers and Frazier. And it also had Victor Garber, who people might know as... The I think he's the architect from Titanic. He's in Titanic. He was an alias. He plays Sydney's dad or the head of the spy agency or some crap like that. You'd recognize Victor Garber if you saw him. But uh, <laughs> they were they were both in that revival of, of Damn Yankees. But yeah, I thought that was pretty funny as well. Uh, back in Jerry's apartment, uh, Kramer comes in and he is. Why did I write this? <laughs> I'm like again. I watched this like last uh, Thursday or oh for real. It was, I th- yeah, I watched it last Thursday because I was like, because uh, we knew that like quarantine was starting, and I knew that my family was going to be home, and I'm not going to be able to watch, mm-hmm. you know, Seinfeld when I normally do. And so, why did I write down Mr. Blackwell? What is that? I wrote that down too. Oh, son of a! <laughs> Kramer comes in something, Mr. Blackwell. Does Jerry call him Mr. Blackwell? 
Yes, he does. That's exactly right. What is that in yeah. reference to? I don't know, but obviously we're going to have to look it up. All right. Because <laughs> yeah. Jerry's still upset about the date. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to look up who the hell Mr. Blackwell is. Uh, by the way, great shot of Superman on the bookshelf here. Point oh, that I didn't catch it. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it is kind of fleeting. I think it's it's like covered up by someone's shoulder pretty quickly, but I did, I did spot it. So we got Superman on the bookshelf. Uh, even though we had an earlier shot of the bookshelf, I don't know if he was there. But uh, yeah, so there's Superman. Uh, enter George, who is reading players' quotes out of the paper about how much they love their new <laughs> cotton uniforms. And Jerry uh, also invites George to Atlantic City. He's like, uh, you know, I'm packing up to go. Hey, you should come. They call Elaine to say if she wants to go uh, to make it kind of a fun group trip. Mm-hmm. And cut to Justin Pitt's place, and he is hating on the socks that Elaine bought. <laughs> the phone rings, and I love this whole exchange because they really nailed a nostalgic feeling for a lot of people where you're calling someone and their parents pick up. Did you get that feeling from this scene? I I did, but like the only thing that's weird is that this was still a thing whenever this episode aired. So it's not really that nostalgic, I guess. Well, but I mean, I guess it's nostalgic in the point that like they're in their 30s and they're talking like this. Like Jerry goes, hi, Mr. Pitt. Is Elaine there? Oh, okay. So no, like no specific time uh, reference, but just they're in their thirties and they did this as a as children. Okay, yeah, and, and everybody, gotcha. yeah, and everybody, it's it's something that everybody can relate to because everybody called their friends and and said, you know, hi, Mister Murphy, is Tim there? You know, oh, if I had any friends, I would, that's what they would have said. But um, <laughs> you know, I I loved the way that they played this scene all the way again all the way through. It's like it starts with that like, hi, Mister Pitt, is Elaine there? And Elaine, you know, asks if she can. You know, he's like, hey, Elaine, we're going to Atlantic City. Again, this is like, hey, we're, we're all sleeping over to my place tonight. Ask if you can go. And so Elaine is like, uh, you know, ask like, well, maybe I can get your socks tomorrow, which I think would have been kind of crazy because it's still like, I don't know, a couple hours to Atlantic City, I would guess. Oh, like, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember driving from D.C. and it was like two or three hours. So from New York City, it's still got to be, you know, a, an hour or two. If, if Long Island is an hour or two, Atlantic City is probably kind of similar. So like that puts Elaine on kind of a really quick timeline well what how where is atlantic city in you know what I'm it's, just gonna, in new, it's in new jersey i'm just gonna look it up but do it from like east 81st street to atlantic city mm. because you can't just say nyc we got to get out of the city at this point i've got two and a half hours what'd you get i've got 317 because of traffic Dang. yeah i if you take i-95 you're gonna i have um I have two hours, 48 minutes via I-95, but if you take the Garden State Parkway, you get there in two and a half hours. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, my route isn't going I-95 at all. My route is going, uh, it looks like, it, through Newark still, but... Yeah. Is but that, it's crazy far is it away going when you look into at Pennsylvania? Uh, oh, okay. No, it's not going into Pennsylvania. Um, but wow. It's, it's, yeah. it's very far for a spur-of-the-moment trip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially well and also like for Elaine to have to be back tomorrow to buy him socks. Well, geez, she's going to have to leave like pretty soon after they wake up and stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like pretty far south from of New York City. I found that, you know, even if she w- got to go, she would have had to turn right around and and who was going to drive her back? Because Jerry was he was it just doing a one night in Atlantic City? I guess so. I, I guess. Yeah. A, a, a one night where they got him a hotel and everything. Yeah, yeah, 
Right, like he can't drive two and a half hours back. I guess that's you know, I guess that's the kind of stuff he was commanding. You know, he was a Tonight Show comic. That's true. That's true. So I guess he was kind of a big name, and they're like, yeah, we'll hook you up with a nice suite, a balcony suite, and uh, <laughs> with, yeah, so. with with two beds. Yeah, with two <laughs> twin beds. Um, and but I love this. You know, she's like, "Can I get your socks tomorrow?" And Pitt is like. But I was hoping to get my socks today, which is I loved. Like it doesn't. He's not going to use them. Like no. he's probably not going to use these socks that he's getting. But like he had his heart set on getting these socks, and he wants them today. So I, I loved that response. But then I love when she turns back to Jerry and like it's like I can't go. That that also like just completes the nostalgic trip they were taking everybody on. When like oh, mom, everyone's going to the. Can I go to the movie or go to the? Well, no. You ha- you have to do your your chore, this chore or your homework. Like because you know you probably told your friend like yeah i definitely want to go hang on let me ask mm-hmm. like it's just a, a foregone conclusion and then yeah. you're like i can't go <laughs> she has like a little <laughs> frown i love the delivery of the line i love the whole scene in atlantic city cut to atlantic city uh we get a shot of bally's um which opened in 1984 and we get a shot uh, a interesting shot of the trump um oh Oh, I'm sorry. Bally's wasn't open in 84. We get a shot of the Trump Hotel and Casino there in Atlantic City, uh, which op- that opened in 1984 and, of close, uh, uh, and of course, closed in 2014 after the world's greatest businessman somehow found a way to bankrupt a casino. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the places where the house always wins. <laughs> somehow it went bankrupt. Jeez. Uh, go, there for, <laughs> go there for the good payouts, I guess. Then, damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Cut to Kramer and Karen. They're practicing her walk in her room, and they're also practicing uh, the the questions. You know, so Kramer's showing her how to walk, and mm-hmm. then I love this question: like, the world is on the brink of nuclear war. Would you sleep with the enemy leader to avoid it? <laughs> Which is Jesus. hilarious, you know. Um, but and she's like, "Oh, Kramer, come on, are these questions?" And he like lays into her about poise. My God, like. And you can tell she's definitely getting flustered here, too. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's like it's a browbeating. I mean, he, like, really lays into her about about not wanting to answer this question, this stupid question that he came up with. Um, and cut to Jerry and George's room. Jerry had a good show. George won 50 bucks at the roulette table. They're like, man, it's too bad Elaine's not here. She would have really loved this. All she had to do was buy some socks. <laughs> uh, cut to Pitt's uh, house once again, and they're arguing about all the socks that Elaine has bought. You can see there's like, you know, five or six different kinds of socks and and the ones he's got on are like are they are these the ones that are too loose or too tight? I don't remember. Uh these were uh these were too loose. He's like they're nice, but I don't think they're going to stay up. Yeah, and and previously she got ones that were too tight. Mhm. And so Elaine is trying to convince him that these socks are fine, but obviously uh Mr. Pitt is not uh you know, not hearing it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Yeah, they're good for now." <laughs> yeah and she's like they're gonna stay up <laughs> uh, cut back to atlantic city where george and jerry are trying to sleep but they you know can't they can't sleep because these pigeons are making so much noise mm-hmm. and rather than i don't know close the balcony door because uh, i'm sure there's yeah. a pretty nice hvac system there at whatever hotel they happen to be staying at uh jerry decides to instead scare the pigeons off as he says and dumps the ice bucket full of water uh, off the balcony and that quiets the pigeons up but i'm still like why do you idiots have to sleep with the door the door open close the door this is this is reaching here yeah it's reaching for a plot point my god yeah um so uh, 
then they say this as the um, pigeons are quiet. Good night, Tully. Good night, Stan. No, good night, Ollie. Good night, Ollie. Good night. Okay, now mm-hmm. it makes so much more sense. What, what, who are who are Ollie and Stan? Laurel and Hardy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that that was a, a Laurel and Hardy catchphrase, but I, I heard Tully, and I was like, "That's weird." Good night, Tully. Good night, Stan. <laughs> but but still, obviously, a reference to a black and white series of short films from the 1930s or whenever oh, all, you know God. Laurel and Hardy were around. Uh. <laughs> yeah, pre World War One. Laurel and Hardy or whatever I, it was. I wonder if like Jerry in real life is as out of touch with his references as th- his character on the show. Like in modern day, I'm wondering if he's like still looking around for blockbusters where he can rent VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, a great question. A, a, a great question to ask. I would love to ask Jerry why the references were so old, even for 1990. Yeah, my God. You could have said um, whatever the Waltons used to sign off with. You know, good night, John Boy. Good night, whatever that, you know, like, yeah. um, whatever that is would even be a more current reference than Laurel and Hardy. Uh, so I, I would love to ask Jerry why the references were so old. Like, what was the writer's room like? It was full of, like, you know, 80-year-old Borscht Belt comedians. Like, <laughs> Jerry, this will be funny. Trust me. <laughs> it's, it's like, Regis, come on. You got to say Boncos. You have to say Boncos. All the kids are saying it. <laughs> I don't want to say Boncos. Uh, cut to uh, we get an exterior shot of the Taj Mahal uh, hotel. Another we don't know which hotel they're actually at here in Atlantic mm-hmm. City, uh, but it's the next morning. And Kramer comes into Karen. Obviously, he's been called uh, in an emergency situation because he's just kind of like throwing on a robe. And he comes to Karen's room. And where was Kramer sleeping, by the way? I have no idea. That's uh, I just thought of that. He's not sleeping with Jerry and George. He it's he's seemingly there independent of Jerry and George. Yeah, and it's not like he's there with the with the pageant. Maybe as a actual personal consultant, once you deem someone that, like, they have to get them a room. Mm, maybe, maybe the pageant had to pay for it. Or, maybe. Or, or Rhode Island had to pay for it. Well, then what? whatever happened to her actual, like, chaperone? Is she, he or she, the chaperone for all of the Miss America contestants? My guess is that they're two different jobs. Like, there's one or a couple chaperones for, or maybe not even a couple chaperones. You just have to... Like there's a chaperone that works for the Miss America pageant, and then there's you know personal consultants, and it seemed like Miss Rhode Island because Rhode Island's never in contention. Mm-hmm. They probably you know just never hired a person uh, mm. professional personal consultant. For okay, her. you know they're like oh come on, I, I don't know who pays for Miss America pageant contestants <laughs> to go. My guess is maybe it's like a um, you know you kind of have to raise your own money kind of thing. Maybe, but whoever is raising the money for them, my guess is that they had to get Kramer a room once he agreed to be. Her personal consultant. <laughs> that's that's the, that's what I'm going with. But her doves are dead. The doves that she was using for her magic act, she spent eight years training them, dead in a pool of water. Uh, Kramer goes out on the balcony and where she had them sleeping. We obviously know what happened at this point. And I like that he, he slipped on the balcony in a pretty funny way. <laughs> um, but he goes outside and he was like, oh, this was no accident. These doves were murdered. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, and at this point, he, I think he expects like, uh, well, he, he does suspect sabotage at some point, but, mm-hmm. you know, potentially maybe one of the other contestants or something like that, you know, who really didn't want her to have a shot. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Jerry's room and Kramer comes in and says that Miss Rhode Island is out of the pageant. And Jerry is like, well, what do you mean she's out of the pageant? He starts explaining the situation with the doves. And then he notices the ice bucket out on the balcony and Ted Kramer fingers Jerry 
for murdering. <laughs> Murdering the pigeons. <laughs> oh no, we're back to this turn. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, and and Kramer, you know, says, you know, you won't stop her, as if Jerry did it on purpose. You know, once again, he had already accused um, the, uh, Jerry of like trying to put a stop to Miss Rhode Island's dreams of being Miss America. He's like, I don't want to stop her. And he's like, you can't. <laughs> um, so he's, you know, he suspects that Jerry sabotage miss rhode island so that he could keep dating her or something i'm guessing is is what the implication was like if she became miss america he would get dumped or something like that uh cut to the pageant instead of magic they had to go with something else so uh karen's new talent is singing even though she's never sung in public before and she starts singing the song it's a most wonderful day i'd never heard it before had you Mm, no no i don't think so i'm guessing it's from a musical or something we might have to look that up later uh, for homework, and uh, we're kind of cutting to George and Jerry hanging out in their room, watching the pageant, and Karen singing on stage at the pageant. And George is eating uh, chicken, and he's kind of like shoving, you know, he's like uh, really, he's eating like George. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot, absolutely. I forgot I could just say that. <laughs> he's covered in chicken grease. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, Jerry even says, uh, he uh, he says like I heard those doves were really incredible, and George with a chicken wing in his mouth is just like that's a shame. Yeah, I-, I liked the parallel of talking about the doves dying and George eating poultry. Yes, <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Um, and yeah, he's like, ah, oh, that's a shame. And then George goes, oh, the Yankees game is on. And so Jerry and George switch from watching Jerry's girlfriend, or, or at least the woman he's been on a date with at the time, uh, over to the Yankees game. And the Yankees all of a sudden look awful. What happens <laughs> is their uniforms have shrunk. Uh, and I love the announcers. Mattingly just split his pants. <laughs> I, I, I really like, he's like, they're running like penguins. <laughs> running like penguins <laughs> and, and then jerry kind of like you know throwing it back to george goes that's ah, a shame <laughs> uh and cut back to the pageant where kramer is yelling to karen uh poise or you know he's kind of like mouthing to karen poise poise mm-hmm. and uh, that's where the episode proper ends we do get one more stand-up bit um, where Jerry is talking about the Miss America pageant, and he wonders why we even need to see him in the other outfits. The bathing suit is the contest. Yeah, you win the bathing suit, you win the pageant. <laughs> Jesus Which at Christ! First, I thought was like it, it might be problematic, but I I think he saved it a little bit with his next bit. I really liked the way he turned it to talking about formal wear. So he wasn't like whoever's got the biggest boobs and nicest butt wins, right? <laughs> I mean, he was saying that for sure, but. <laughs> But at least it doesn't go all the way there. True. At least, at least he, he did kind of save himself. You're right by saying, like, what is formal wear? Everyone looks good in formal wear. Oh, it's tight, black, and slimming? Yes, we look. you look good in it. Yeah, he's like, it's dark. It covers everything. Yes. That's why we have <laughs> weddings in it. Um, he was like, if we had weddings in bathing suits, you know, <laughs> you get to that part in the ceremony where they say, if you see any reason these two people shouldn't be together, you see about 80 hands go up. Um, yeah, so I, I thought he brought it. He brought it back around to a less problematic area. Like, you know, uh, a, like I'd say like 25% of his joke was whoever has the best boobs w- should win. But I, I think a good 75% is talking about how formal wear is like <laughs> is an unnecessary part of it because everybody looks good in it because it covers everything and it's dark, etc. That seems like a very good equation to figure out <laughs> for Jerry Seinfeld. How much in percentage points, uh, how much of a problem 
are each of his jokes. I mean, look at look at last week where he's like, you know what the real problem of homosexuality is? Or no, he's like the the benefit of homosexuality is you double your wardrobe. And yeah. that that in itself not bad. But he's nope. like, you know, when they approach a new recruit, I Okay. So what's your percentage on that? How do you? What's your percentage on that of problematic? Uh, I, I would give okay. Yes. Well, I think the the when they approach a new recruit was it wasn't a big part of the joke. So I'd probably yeah. go like a fifteen to a twenty percent. Yeah, I like. I could even go twenty percent on this joke here. I think twenty five might be high mm. on the, on the pageant joke. I, I'd probably I'd probably go twenty five for the pageant joke. You're just ju- ju- just because uh just because yeah. The the swimsuit is it. That that's that's, that's the, the joke. contest. That's the contest. Uh, I I feel like that has a little more weight than when they approach a new recruit talking about homosexuality. Then then I'm gonna have to give if 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 the bathing suit is the contest is 25. I'm gonna have to give new recruit 20. Okay okay. I'm gonna you have to what? highball it. You know what? I'll agree with that. <laughs> Jesus. I think that looks good. I think that looks good. <laughs> Because I could go twenty on either one, you know. Like maybe uh-huh. we, we just we we split the difference and both are twenty three. It's a twenty three, <laughs> um, a seventy seven. <laughs> now I'm now I'm having to do math in my head. Uh, seventy six. So no. it's got to be seventy seven. Yeah, you're right. Seventy seven. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, getting it to a nice round ninety nine percent. Yeah, yeah, and then one percent is just being Jerry. That's yeah. just problematic in and of itself. <laughs> We always leave that one percent of Jerryness, <laughs> uh, and that's that's the episode in total. Oh man, uh, did we have any homework through this episode? Uh, we want to look up uh, what song that Karen is singing in yeah. in the talent portion of the pageant. It's something uh, like it's a most wonderful day or something like that. Uh, we wanted to look up who Mister Blackwell is, like what that yes. reference is, because neither Blackwell, neither of us really. Knew what that is, and I'm I, lost. I don't think we had anything other than that. Uh, no. Uh, did we want to come up with a better description? I don't know if we can. Uh, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, we uh. had Kramer chaperones Jerry's date with a beauty contestant guest Ian Abercrombie. I'm guessing that Ian Abercrombie was um, what's his name? Um, I'm gonna wait for you to find it because I know who it is. <laughs> You're watching these episodes for the first time. I've been a lifelong fan for years. God damn it. I didn't do that line, <laughs> did I, at the beginning? I think you did. I don't think I did. I think it's just reflex at this point. I, I don't think I did it this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shit, well, thank goodness what I was said his it. name? I mean, I'll probably cut this out anyway. <laughs> yeah. We'll just cut right to you saying it immediately. Whoa, Ted, that was fast. <laughs> How did you come up with that character's name so fast that we've been talking about for an hour? Oh. <laughs> So I'm guessing Ian Abercrombie was Justin Pitts. Bingo. Bingo. Uh, there we go. <laughs> yes. I, I definitely had that name ready to go right whenever I said the rest of the description uh, 15 <laughs> seconds ago. Yeah. And I, I think this is one of the best descriptions we've had in a long time. <laughs> it, it, I think it really is. Yeah. I, I would I'd be inclined to agree, honestly. It, we, it, we don't need anything about the B story in there. Yeah, it's one line. Uh, everything that is mentioned in the description, you learn in the first five minutes of the episode. Yeah. The only thing, if we wanted the, the side stories in there, would be George and Elaine settle into new jobs or something like that. Yeah. Because that kind of covers yeah, both true. of their deals, but I don't need it. Hmm. Yeah. I certainly don't need it. I, I like it the way it is, I think. 
Yeah, I do too. All right, so next week we have got Season 6, Episode 2, The Big Salad. Original air date, September 29th, 1994. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Jerry learns his date was dumped by Newman. Kramer worries that he caused a murder. And George's petty remarks cause him trouble. Oh, I, I, I feel like this gives a lot away, but I don't hate it. I, I feel like it still asks a lot, asks more questions than it answers. Hmm. Okay. We'll have to see next week, though. All right. It, wait. Now I'm. Now I'm getting messed up. Who Who starts the ending phrase? Oh, I think that's me. Okay. I didn't know if we were ready yet. <laughs> okay. Is that it? That's it. All right. For no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hallowell. Be good. Be good.